0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 18th of May. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. And on tonight's show, I take an in-depth look at alternative provision, or AEP, as we call it here in Northern Ireland. Joining me to guide us through this thorny nitty-gritty, is lead practitioner for behavior Shazad ali
0: this is teachers talk radio and you are listening live tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation download the podbean app and search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt tune in talk it out with teachers talk radio
1: Good evening everyone. We have a lot of technical difficulties, but it looks like we might have got here at last. Or maybe I'm the only one here at the minute. Anyway, tonight I'm going to be speaking, hopefully, to Shazad Ali about all things behavior. A hot topic of the moment, very prickly, but for teachers, behaviour is something that we always have to come back to. We always have to think about it and it's a little bit like the ocean. It's always changing. It's always dynamic. We'll be asking, has COVID made a significant difference in behaviour and just what is the experience of somebody like Shazad, who's very much at the cold face and dealing with difficult behaviours on a daily basis um, so if you have any questions uh, or if you have any comments or experiences yourself around behaviour please put them into the chat now and we'll get them all lined up for when Shazad does manage to get joined which I hope is very soon there's no sign of him yet But I'm sure he's trying hard. So we would be asking things like, um, what is behaviour and what kind of behaviour do teachers need? I know when I was a young teacher and you went for job interviews, one of the things you always got asked was uh, a behaviour question, as we used to say, and I remember coming up with the line. Uh, something similar to you know in order for teaching and learning to happen there has to be good behavior ah there's shazad now can you hear me shazad how are you
2: hi paul can you hear me
1: at last we managed to (laughs) cut through (laughs) thank you very much for your patience there
2: no no problem at all
1: good to hear you good to hear you So Shazad, you work in Behaviour. You're a lead in a a school for Behaviour. Tell us a little about how you got to where you're at now.
2: So um, I'm currently employed by Bradford Academy. Um, The school is based in a really deprived area in Bradford. Um, So my journey started at the school in 2017 um, as a volunteer. I was just really interested in working with young people especially from the district um, and being able to give something back to the young people so i wanted to see what it's like in a school setting Uh, so i was remember applying um, as a volunteer to kind of get a feel of what the school's like Um, four weeks into the into the volunteering there was a position available for a learning support assistant um, applied and then it was my journey started from there as a learning support assistant um, from there, I moved on to working in our off-site provision um, with young people. Um, it was back end of the year. Then I applied for a pastoral job. So the pastoral job for being like, in essence, was a head of year responsibility um, mm-hmm. for the year group of year nine, then year 10. Uh, then I moved on with them into year 11. Um, and then I was also appointed for a lead practitioner for behavior. So I had the opportunity to then teach uh, new staff about uh, strategies and techniques and how to manage behavior. Um, mm-hmm. So my journey at the academy since 2017 has been a progressive journey, but I've managed to be able to see uh, the f- full end of behavior. Um, 18 months ago, I uh, applied for our on-site lead alternative provision manager uh, and I was successfully appointed in that role. Uh, And ever so since then, it's just been a journey that we've had at the Academy. Um, And yet it's been it's been really interesting because I've seen behaviour from where behaviour starts from and where the whole managing a year group and then looking at learners who need more support. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So as a lead practitioner for behaviour, what's your job like then, you know, on a day to day basis? um, What's kind of the shape of your day and what would happen?
2: so at the moment my my responsibilities are that i'm the lead for the alternative provision uh which is the on-site so we have we're we're probably amongst the very few schools in bradford that have this um i mean predominantly many schools um up and down the country use the alternative provision route which is normally your peruse uh, or external agencies but bradford academy uh three years ago decided to invest uh, in an on-site alternative provision to provide support for their young people. Um, so, in essence, instead of sending learners out, we then provide the support internally. So my role involves the day-to-day responsibility of managing the provision. Uh, we have a team of six people, very skilled people. Um, we have teaching staff, learning support assistants, and then we also have young 27 young people who will provide the day-to-day wraparound support for them young people um at the academy and all the learners that access our reset provision which is what our alternative provision is called are all the learners who access bradford academy but need additional support
1: so let me understand this then shazad you take children out of the school and you bring them into your alternative provision which is on the same site is it
2: it's literally five steps away from the main school okay yeah so it's a really inclusive provision that we've got um mm-hmm. it was a, a two million pound build at the time uh, it was designed with the uh f- it was designed with the approach of having a trauma-informed approach making the building feel inclusive making everyone feel that they've got their own space but at the same time making the building feel where it becomes a, a feeling of belonging to the people so we're literally it's on the site and it's five steps away from the, from the main school itself however we also access the school at any given time
1: okay yeah and did i hear you say that you have a two million pound build
2: yeah that's right oh. uh it was um this is why it's, it's um when I, when I explain this to people and um and i've spoken about this in the past it's like a big investment but one of the one of the reasons why i love working at Bradford academy is the fact that the school's really inclusive um it it believes in the young people it believes in giving second chances to the young people and, and, and I guess, to be honest with you, the way the behaviour is in up and down the country, it's a really good support mechanism that we've got to have this alternative provision.
1: Yeah, well, in a minute, maybe we'll look at behaviour, you know, in, in, yep. in the broader sense, up and down the mm-hmm. country, as you say. But uh, I suppose then two things maybe strike me uh, about your setup there. One is, um, you know, is there any sense then of, of You know the children who are in alternative provision with you is there any sense of either privilege or stigma i mean they're sitting in a two million pound building uh you know that that seems pretty luxurious to me listening to you is there a sense of privilege or is there a sense of you know being ostracized or you know being kind of shoved away
2: what it says is the most the learners who present the most difficult behavior are those learners who still won't be forgotten about and it will promote, it will show that the school will continue to invest in those young people. It is easy for a school to look down the route of a permanent exclusion, but then you have an issue which becomes a district problem, where you've got a young person now who's been permanently excluded from an educational setting. But having a provision like this on site will provide another opportunity for a young person. the whole purpose of an alternative provision and the definition that is provided to all schools with regards to alternative provision is to provide a provision to young people so that they are able to reintegrate back into mainstream so our our alternative provision is really inclusive because we get to use the mainstream settings we allow our learners to go in for lunches we allow them to access school for an hour two hours even half a day so we what we're trying to say to people out there is that we will not forget about our young learners we will give them a second opportunity but we will upskill them with the issues that they were struggling with in the mainstream setting so whether mm-hmm. they were struggling in a classroom with 30 learners and now they come into our small provision where now you've only got eight learners closing the barriers to learning providing them with the confidence and the self-esteem and then integrating them back into mainstream provisions out there unfortunately do i mean it's an out of sight out of mind provision but the fact that Bradford academy have invested on an on-site alternative provision it still makes the uh, learners feel that they feel part of the academy it's no different even though our provision is called reset uh reset's an acronym and it stands for something but allowing our learners to also be in this provision gives them the opportunity to reintegrate back in as well
1: tell us then shazad what does reset stand for
2: so this is something I'm really passionate about. Um, RESET, we've given it a purpose, we've given it a name. Um, so RESET is a model. Uh, and the whole, like I said, the whole purpose of an alternative provision is that you need to reintegrate learners back into mainstream. So the RESET, the R stands for respite. So we know that learners, when they come into our provision, we need to provide a bit of respite for the learners. And we normally use this phase from zero to six weeks, where we take them away from the mainstream setting and we allow them to come to our place. Allow them to be familiar with staff, allow them to be familiar with the setting, and allow them to be familiar with other learners. Then we move on to the E, which is encourage. And what we do during this phase, which is normally six to 12 weeks, is we begin to build up confidence, build up self-esteem, begin to make the learners feel that they are valued. Then we move on to the S, which is standards. And again, it's making sure we've got the basics, the, the uniform, the data moving around with regards to the lessons, um, making sure our work is up to scratch. It's all about the standards, how we then incorporate standards so we're able to integrate back into mainstream. That's normally between 12 to 18 weeks. Then we move on to the E, which is equip. And this is where we begin to start closing barriers to learning. So if a learner was struggling Mm -hmm. in a classroom setting, this is now we begin to start beginning to tighten up the issues which the learners were demonstrating in the mainstream setting. And we begin to provide the wraparound support and then we move on to the t which is normally the 24 to 30 week stage which is called transition and this is where we come to the end of the learner's time in the reset provision and we look to reintegrate the learner back into mainstream so it's a model it's an acronym it's powerful and it's it's give the provision a purpose
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that sounds very comprehensive yeah i wonder for a minute could could we be clear on behavior because you know behaviors a very much a a broad term it's all encompassing you know it runs the gamut of you know inattention rudeness cheek disrespect uh, right through maybe you know vulgarity insult Mm -hmm. threat uh, unruliness damage and so on and you know there's really no magic wand to kind of Cast a spell over all behaviour and just have wonderful pupils sitting in front of us. So, it, what is behaviour then? Well,
2: if you if you're looking for a word, uh, behaviour is communication. Um, mm-hmm. Staff in the reset building are all trained around trauma informed. So we uh, we believe that behaviour is communication. We don't believe that a child will behave in a way without there being a reason. We believe that this is a way of them communicating with us. We then do not uh, other approaches that we apply. We look to deescalate a situation through verbally, maybe through our body language. We allow the learners to speak to us uh, openly so that they're able to feel as though they've got the relationship with us. And that's a key term is relationships. Uh, And we believe that having and forming strong relationships, especially with the young learners that we work with at Bradford Academy, it's all about the relationships. Making sure the relationships are strong, making sure we listen to our young people and giving them the opportunity to feel valued as well. So our motto at the academy is known, valued, understood, and guided. And that's really powerful. We promote that. We get to know our learners. We value them. And we also make sure that they're understood. But the most important part is that we guide them as well at the same time.
1: hmm yeah. yeah. So what are some of the, you know, the typical things that are maybe going wrong for these children then? What's what's happening them? You say you know, you know, that they behave this way because something's happened. What might be going wrong for them?
2: I think what you've got to look at, and and this is where the reset provisions a blended approach. So we have young people who were the risk of permanent exclusion. So they've gone through all the support in school and now they're presenting behavior, which is unmanageable. We also support learners who are school refusers. We also support learners who have experienced mental health or trauma. So because we have a variety of learners who express a variety of needs, each learner is unique in their own way. So there it's them presenting to us the issues that they're going through. And it's either something that they've experienced in childhood. It's either something that they've experienced in a mainstream setting, mm-hmm. whether it's in a classroom setting. But having an opportunity like this in the reset provision give them gives us the opportunity as first to get to know our learners really, really well. Sometimes our learners really flourish in being in a small environment. I mean, sometimes being in a classroom of 30, thirty learners can be really overwhelming. But being in a smaller setting with eight learners and two members of staff, they may feel more valued, maybe feel more confident. And this is some of the stuff that we apply and some of the support that we apply to our learners in in this setting. Um, I don't, I don't. I mean, the staff are always known about this. That we know that sometimes learners are going to get it wrong. In the provision, uh, we know that if we apply the policy, which is obviously the behaviour policy, we have an adapted approach. If we was to apply the policy, it wouldn't work. So what is the approach that we use with the young people? It's the relationships and it's making sure that they're valued in the organisation. Yeah, and and what's the
1: difference then between you you and your team doing that in alternative provision and teachers doing that in the classroom? Why can teachers not do what you're doing?
2: I think that's a really interesting question. I think it's because of the demand of uh, the learners that are, are, are in the school setting. I think schools are really oversubscribed at this moment in time, especially in the Bradford district. I think schools were at a time when there used to be 20 learners in a classroom, then it increased to 25. Now some school settings are in a stage where there's, they've got literally learners out of the door. So because we've had the increase in learners, it becomes difficult for the member of staff then to either their teaching or its behaviour management. But we have the opportunity to take the learner away from a classroom of 30 and give them the one to one support. And I think that's where we come. uh, That's that's a strong point of the academy. Um, I mean, one of the questions that I was presented with previously was that if a young learner is able to do this and they're successfully in your provision, then how do you remodel it with the member of staff when they go back into mainstream? Yeah. And one of the most uh, one of the things that we also provide is we provide an exit strategy. So when the learner is with us for 24 to 30 weeks, we provide a thorough document, which we give out to the members of staff to say, these are the strategies that I work with the young people. For example, this young man prefers to sit at the front. This young man prefers for once you have told the class what they need to do, then please can you go speak to this young man in person to just encourage him or just to see if he's on track. We have the capacity to do that and also we've got the time, where I believe teaching staff at this moment in time don't have the time, whether they're inundated with admin work, marking, um, or it's the pressure of meetings or meeting deadlines. And I think that's becoming t- difficult. And it's it's also the workload and teaching staff, not just in at the academy, but many schools up and down the, uh, the country. Yeah, I understand all that.
1: Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, I- I'm just wondering, Um, Is is it not really incumbent on teachers to teach in the context of a relationship with their children? Do they not need, you know, to put relationship first before, you know, teaching and learning? And I understand you talk about numbers, but is that not absolutely crucial that the teacher has a, you know, a really grounded relationship with the class before they can teach well?
2: I think I 100% I, I really agree with that. Um, I think relationships are the foundation of any any positive classroom. However, I also believe that many members of staff will ha- also have the additional pressure to make sure that they're forming, uh, sorry, making sure that they're meeting um, expectations with regards to uh, um, grades, making sure learners have the, have met the deadlines. Uh, what I'm trying to say with this is, is every school's different. Some schools will have learners who come from really difficult backgrounds. um, Some learners who are not as academically smarter than other school settings, but it's about the school culture. It's about the school vision. Uh, It's about the school saying that, okay, we understand that this young person might not be academically smarter than some of the other learners, but we as a school will make sure we form strong relationships. And it's a bit of a sad state of affair to say that we will always judge young people on their grades or their GCSEs. And one of the reasons why I love working in alternative provision is to say, well, this young person now who was really had low self-esteem, who didn't like coming to school, maybe he or she didn't get the grade. But this young person now actually feels really good about themselves. We can actually send this young person out in the community who's grown in confidence. But unfortunately, we live in a world where we measure people by numbers. And that doesn't really and that's one of the things that I really want to push through alternative provisions to say, okay, let's not measure by numbers. Let's just measure by creating young, good human beings. Hmm.
1: Uh, And what then makes a good
0: human being?
2: It's having the right moral compass. It's also having the right uh, principles and having the right morals in life. Uh, Kindness, being generous, uh, polite, respectful, loving, caring. These are just some of the stuff that we promote, uh, making sure that, you know, we're respectful to staff and students, to our environment. And and this is kind of modeled through staff, through our behavior, because the young people look up to the adults for them to be role models. So staff, this is something that we promote at the academy through the reset provision that we make sure we do this. And it might be that a child doesn't get it today, might not get it tomorrow, but as long as you plant the seed now, somewhere eventually the young person will begin to think, right, this is who I want to be, or this is how I want to be moving forward.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah so you know i wasn't a maths teacher shazad so i'm trying to count your months really quickly there but you know these children are out in alternative provision with you for quite a quite a time before they're reintegrated yeah Mm -hmm. go ahead yeah
2: so it it varies on a, a child specifically so yeah it doesn't necessarily, because they're 39 weeks in an academic year, it doesn't necessarily mean that a child will be with us for the full 30 weeks of that calendar year. What it also means is sometimes learners are really are, are, are able to integrate a lot earlier. Some mm-hmm. learners are able to integrate at an earlier stage. It all depends on the, on the young person. So we previously we've had young people who have integrated within the first six months. We've had young people who have integrated within the first six weeks. We've had similar learners who need longer than the 30 week transition. So it's not a one size fits all. And I really enjoy, I really like this model because the model gives us a template to follow, but also at the same time, it allows the learners to be able to flourish while they're in this provision as well.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And, and then what about
1: children going back in, do, you know, do they all succeed? Do they have relapses? What happens? because surely the places in your alternative provision are are limited, what happens there?
2: So yeah, we we have a capacity of 24 learners, Uh, when we obviously divide that by the staff, it's two members of staff to eight learners in a classroom setting. What Mm -hmm. we do come across is, so we have reintegrated some learners and some learners have been successful and some learners have not been successful, but what we do is we have an open door policy, like a revolving door, where we understand that sometimes learners may not be able to reintegrate full time. So then what we do is we look at a bespoke intervention so we say that we will allow this young person to go back into mainstream and if it doesn't work then they come back to us and we revisit the whole model again for some learners we have half a day with us in reset and half a day mainstream sometimes we have one lesson with us in mainstream and four lessons with us or three lessons with us in reset so we will always have that connection um one of the things that we also uh, an intervention that we promote in reset is that we have an afternoon provision So how our structure and how our models look like during the day is that we have three 50-minute lessons. Um, And and this rate works really well because after 50 minutes, learners do lose concentration. So a, a maths, English and science lesson rotated throughout the day. And then in the afternoon, based on the child's needs, we look at what interventions we apply. That could look like in the format of forest schools, hair and beauty, going to college, looking at motor vehicles. Art and design full text. So we have like twenty six different provisions, and each provision is provided to support the ra- well, to give the wraparound support to the young person, so that we're able to develop this young person, and then we're able to see improvements moving forward.
1: Yeah. So let me go back a minute, Shazad. What's the criteria then? What criteria would there be for a child getting a place in alternative provision?
2: So. The criteria fall mainly under five subheadings. So what you've got is you've got a learner who is at the risk of a permanent exclusion. So Mm -hmm. who's gone through the behavior triggers, who's gone through the systems. So the past all support worker, the head of year, the lead for behavior in the mainstream school have tried and have exhausted all options with the young person. Yeah. This is one criteria. The second criteria is somebody who's now just completely refusing to come to school for whatever reason it may be so then what we allow this young person to do is to come into the reset provision and say that this is a smaller provision and slowly slowly through the reset provision we slowly reintegrate them back into mainstream so it's like the first steps Then yeah. the the criteria is somebody who's experienced either trauma or mental health and, or they're struggling with mental health and they need a short period of time with us like a respite period whether it, whether it's something that a young person is struggling through bereavement or whether they've experienced something where they need to be taken away from a mainstream setting for a short period of time, mm-hmm. or it's an exceptional case through safeguarding, where safeguarding have said this young person for their own safety or their well-being of other people, they need to be in your setting. Now, the learners who access the alternative provision, it's it's through an internal referral system. So the head of years and the pastoral support workers who are the main link for the young person, they make an internal referral. So they'll complete a document the young person's name why they're referring them what's the support that they've had what are their good points what do they need to make improvements and why they believe that this young person will benefit from this alternative provision
1: uh-huh. yeah and then i'm trying to get my head around a little bit you know would alternative provision and you have a limited number of places you've 27 Would it be seen as positive and a good thing? And and I know it's an alternative to permanent exclusion, but in the main, would the teachers see a spell of time in alternative provision as something positive?
2: I think 100% yes. Uh, The feedback that we've had from teaching staff is that when they've seen learners integrate back into mainstream, they've actually said how amazing is to see this young person who would not sit still who would not even who would not stay in my classroom for the hour and now be able to phase back in the feedback that we've had from the young people to say you know we really appreciate our, our time here the feedback that we've had from parents um, it's just been absolutely amazing so it's positive all, all around uh, the students mm-hmm. the staffing also the fact that the learners get to go back into mainstream and we also have the same teaching staff that are also able to visit the alternative provision. It also shows the relationships and the fact that we're not just sending these kids into an alternative provision and saying, right, here you go and you're here. So they get the teachers also get to seeing the improvement. Um, and then when we reintegrate the learners back in, it's also done really strategically, Who, the, which class the learner's going into, which member of staff's class they're going into. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and and the feedback that we've had is the alternative provision is is a strength of the academy. Uh, the relationships that learners have with staff there, and the learners who access the provision, it's a strong point for the academy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and is it fair to say they're probably mostly you know pupils that are further through the school? They're they're older pupils.
2: It's a it's a mix really. Um, yeah. So we tend to not take any learners in year seven as it's their first year in the school Mm -hmm. Um, so we allow them to to see how it would be at the beginning of year eight at least Uh, so we tend to take learners predominantly in year nine year 10 and year 11 with some exception to year eight learners
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, and then we form three classes so we form a year 11 class a year 10 class a year nine class but with the exception of maybe one or two year eights in there um, because the classes are smaller, then we what we do is we provide a lot, uh, provide a lot more scaffolding with regards to the work. We have three mm-hmm. classrooms, uh, a lot bigger than what a normal classroom setting would be like. But we also then have a smaller classroom where we then mm-hmm. take out learners from each classroom and, pro- and provide them with a member of staff in a smaller setting. So having having the capacity within the reset building, it becomes really, really important for their education as well. So they feel confident in this setting.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm interested in, in this business of, you know, uh, teachers and, you know, maybe yourself, What what's the relationship between yourself and the teachers in, you know, the main school, the main building?
2: It's really positive. Uh, yeah. It is really, really positive. Um, the reason being is the staff, are really invested in the whole alternative provision. Um, it was difficult. It's difficult with regards to alternative provision in general because the the misconception that you've got there and the label that you've got there with alternative provision is that it, it's a place where naughty people go, naughty young people go, and it's it's a stigma that will always stick with alternative provision. And as time's gone on, what we've tried to do is change the alternative provision and and label it as an alternative educational provision, which we still want to make people out there trust us with regards to we are just providing an educational provision for these young people it's slightly adapted so the staff are invested in this and they understand that this is a right thing for the young people our relationship with the mainstream staff is is really strong because the interventions that we access in mainstream staff are more than happy to take those learners back in and say right okay we will give them a second opportunity
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and you know do you have to do any like kind of restorative work or or anything like that because you know teachers are human and they're well educated uh behavior can definitely go awry and teachers do get hurt they get wounded uh and they get wounded by individual children you know who may end up with you in alternative provision and some of that damage and that wounding can be very painful very hurtful And, you know, I'm just wondering, then, is it difficult for some teachers to receive children back into mainstream? And do you do anything to try and mediate that?
2: Yeah, most definitely Um, restorative justice and restorative approaches is is one of the things which um, was my kind of strong point as being a lead practitioner for behavior. Um, And we. again Bradford academy is is situated in a very deprived community where we know that the 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 rates of permanent exclusion the rates of suspension are really high so we promote with staff around repairing the damage and repairing the harm that's done but we, we we go about it in a completely slightly different approach which is about repairing the harm and the damage that's done so making the learner take responsibility for what's happened but at the same time member of staff understanding they are actually serving a really deprived community in a difficult community um -hmm. that's a really strong point of the staff that we've got there um it can it can be really difficult for staff uh, yeah yeah it can it can be really difficult in the sense that how many issues will they be doing how many authorities will they be doing but it's Mm -hmm. really important as well that staff well-being is at the most important it's at the front of your school you have Mm -hmm. happy teachers You'll have happy learners you have happy learners you'll have a happy school so your staff are your biggest resource in the academy
1: yeah yeah staff definitely are the biggest resource yeah um i just wonder what you do Shehza, what, what do you do to convince young people and you clearly do it and you're you're clearly successful at doing it um what do you do to convince them to be in school it's
2: when, I mean, we, we say this all the time at the academy, when you make somebody feel valued and when you make them feel loved, they will automatically feel part of the organisation. So mm-hmm. when a child is demonstrating this type of behaviour in a mainstream setting where it's totally showing totally disengagement, for me, that's demonstrating to me that this young person has no affiliation with the academy, doesn't want to be there for whatever reason it is. You've then got to strip that back and find out what is the actual reason behind it and then rebuild back up to make the child feel that every part of the school here, I feel part of, or I have a belonging in here. So if a child now sees that there's a bit of rubbish on the floor, because you've made that child feel valued and make you, be, you made that child feel proud of the school that he comes to, he or she will then pick up that rubbish and throw it in the bin or tuck that chair in because there's a sense of belonging. And it's really important, a third of the day, a young child is at the school. So in essence, that is their home that is we are their parents making them feel like this is your home and we need to look after this together it's all about the sense of belonging and
1: you know yeah i'm, I'm absolutely with you on that um, shazad but one of the things you know drug dealers drug dealers make children feel valued gang leaders gang leaders make children feel valued better than that mm. they make them feel valued big big men hard lads and they give them money, hmm. and they give them money for you know doing their dirty work or or whatever it is. H- how do you compete with that? What
2: that what that what they do is they provide momentary joy. What we're showing to our young learners is we're giving them a sense of belief. We're showing them the long term plan. Um, I mean, a case study that comes to, to mind, which was a young of a young person who was going through similar stages, but. He was a young person who was totally disengaged in school, was somebody who was referred to us with regards to, he may be exploited to X, Y, and Z. And we had to work with this young man and it was an exemplary, it was, it was, it was a really difficult case to be working with. This young man left with 11 qualifications. This young man at this moment in time is studying motor vehicles and it, it's a su- success story within itself. He was somebody who was open up to all sorts of stuff out there in the community. But now this young man now, has, has turned his life around. And it's one example like this, which we then can promote to many young people that come through our doors. If this young man can turn it around in his life while he was in year 11, look at the chances that you've got here. And it's that sense of belief again. Um, a, a, a young person may not like to do maths. He may feel as though just because he cannot add up, he feels useless or he, he feels like inadequate. But again, there's ways in how you can make that child feel a sense of belonging. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, the, the the key is to allow them or demonstrate ways in which children can value themselves.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Excellent work, but not easy work.
2: No, it's not easy work. I tell, I, tell, I tell staff today, the day you plant the seed is not the day you're going to see it grow. It will take time. I and, like that you know, metaphor. <laughs> and, it, and it will take will take time. But what we don't do as staff is we don't lose hope. We continue, mm-hmm. and some days, some days sooner or later, uh, you'll see you'll see your hard work pay off, and never never be disheartened. It can be really difficult, and I mean this is one of the things that I was talking about uh, to to people who I meet in the alternative educational world is. Um, sometimes you apply the support sometimes you will go above and beyond and there will be setbacks there will always be setbacks you'll think yourself, well i'm giving this young man a chance he's taking it and the next minute the moment i look away he's done something wrong again but you don't lose hope of course never never lose hope many people Mm. have walked family members have walked away from the young person's life you don't walk away from that member you don't walk away from that young person and they will remember you um, we're teachers, we're educators and we will come across young people um, who have left school and they will still see us out in the community or at the shopping markets and they will say sir and it's that it's that level of respect that they've got they will call you by sir regardless of how many years are apart um, but it's it's what you've shown it's what you've demonstrated uh, and that's something that I think the uh, alternative provisions are it's a strong point of the uh, alternative provisions out there in the UK
1: yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder what's your view on, you know, shall we call it pop culture, you know, like, uh, rappers and things like that. And there's a lot of controversy at the minute about some of their lyrics, Mm. uh, their videos and their lifestyles and just this contempt for wealth and burning money and crashing Ferraris and things. And they would very much send out a message that, uh, a certain type of young boy should not be involved in school. School is useless, does you no good. Yeah. You know, come over, join us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of tempt them. What, what's your view on that kind of culture and, you know, how popular it is and, and what, it, what it does?
2: I think the sad state of affairs is that young people are exposed to this um, on a mass scale whether it's on the TV, on the iPads, or even on the mobile phone, or what they see within, in and around their community. And it's very difficult as time is going on, more and more young people, and younger and younger people are exposed to this. Yeah. They will look to this, and it's going back to my point I made earlier, they will look to this because they see this as this is a sense of belonging. This is what people will affiliate with being cool. This is what people will think this is who they need to be when they come into your school setting, it's really important that you also promote as your culture that working hard and turning up to school every single day and giving it 100% is also seen as cool. Just because you see somebody driving a flashy car, because you see somebody wearing nice designer clothes, that doesn't necessarily mean that is the all end and be all. We've got to, as a school setting, show that there is hope in the education sector and that you can go on and make sort of make yourselves sort of proud make your families proud and that's the key point uh it becomes really difficult uh, one of the things that we use is we use external agencies who come in to work with the alternative provision, some of the le- some people who are able to share their experiences to say that we went down this track, we ended up in prison or we ended up in a life of crime and we don't want you to do this. And that that's really, it, re- it relates back to our learners where they're able to see a live example of, right guys, you don't want to do what I did. Um, I, I mean, I use uh, quite a few agencies who do this, and it's really effective with our young people. And the feedback that I get is, sir, you know what, I, I see, you know, I hear from people saying it, but now I've actually seen a live example. I don't want to go down that route. And that's a, re- that's a reality check for many of our young learners. And the more the alternative provisions are able to reach out to external agencies, that are able to get guest speakers come in, the better it is, even if it's through one-to-one or if it's done on a mass scale through an assemblies, it's really key to help our young people stay away from many of the stuff out there in the communities. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and I wonder, you know, on a bigger scale, then you know, does media and social media and maybe even specifically record companies do they bear any responsibility for what they do? I mean, they must be aware that their videos, their music, and this, that, and the other is a distraction and you know detracts young people off a straight and narrow path
2: i think they know what they're doing but nobody will want to take the responsibility because with the responsibility there will also be repercussions Uh, and the moment you put your hand up to say that we are responsible for x y and z then there's also accountability um, mm-hmm. so i don't think i don't think the, the the people out there will want to take the responsibility but as educators it's our job to make sure that we show our young people that we're here still here to support you but this is how it needs to be done so it's a battle for, it's a battle forward and back um what we have to demonstrate as educators is that i mean this is one of the reasons why um having an alternative provision is and i and i say this many a times you know he who opens up a school door closes a prison door and this is by having learners come into our provision or come into a school setting. We, the eight hours that they're there with us, if we can make sure that they're healthy, making sure they've eaten, making sure that they're educated, it's those eight hours that we've made sure that they're, that they're away from the streets, away from the stuff that they shouldn't be doing.
1: And I don't want to labour the point, but I just wonder, Shazad, is it school's job to solve society's behaviour issues?
2: <laughs> Paul. As time, as time has gone on, it's, school has taken on a lot of responsibility. Um, because of the demand, because of post-COVID, schools have become really overstretched. Schools are now seen as social workers, youth workers, probation workers. School has taken a lot of responsibilities. But one of the strong points and one of the things that I know working in the school setting is that the school will never say, it's not our job. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it becomes really difficult for staff because they are because of the demand of the young people and the cases that are out there, the social services, the youth services, many agencies are now close to, they can't have, I mean, there's one agency, which is have they have a two and a half year waiting list before any support is provided. So what do what does the school do? Do we just say, we're gonna wait two and a half years? We don't do that. You say yeah. school will then again take on the case because you put the child first. So there's a yeah. lot of burden, a lot of stress. Um, I would say, it's it's increased massively since COVID. Um, yeah. Because I, I experienced what it was like working in a school setting before COVID and the demand wasn't there as much, but after mm-hmm. COVID it has become really, really overstretched. And I think our young people uh, are facing are experiencing this, but and also our parents. It's really difficult for our parents who are trying to get the support from the external agencies and are being told that there's a waiting list and then the pressure becomes onto the school uh, and the school, again, are taking on the caseloads. Um, and, and I think a lot out there, there needs to be a massive round of applause for the schools and how much they're doing out there.
1: Well, I think, as you say, it's the nature of teachers. Isn't it? That, that That is what we do. We, we do respond to the need and the child that's in front of us. And we, we do try to, to patch them up. Shazad, we need to take a little break for a moment, but we'll be right back after these messages. This
4: programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically-approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: SATs have made the news again as many media outlets report on allegations that children were distraught after the reading paper. The BBC website reports that parents and teachers of Year 6 pupils said the paper was difficult and that it had left some pupils in tears. In response to concerns, the Department for Education said it worked to ensure that all tests are appropriate. Whilst some parents took to social media to highlight concerns, a few also acknowledged that the tests might be good in a way to have some kind of tests before GCSE, but the schools in general are under too much pressure to perform well. Copies of the test paper cannot be published until all pupils in Year 6 have had the chance to take it. Sarah Hannafin, Head of Policy for the National Association of Head Teachers, said the union was very concerned about the paper and it would be raising concerns with the Standards and Testing Agency. In Scotland, Edinburgh University students have criticised the institution's response to a marking boycott. According to BBC News, students fear their work will not be read as the university plans to continue awarding degrees without necessary expertise, to cope with the UK-wide industrial action. The marking boycott is part of the latest phase of industrial action by members of the university and college union at 145 institutions across the UK. Union members are refusing to undertake marking duties and assessment-related work. In response, universities are considering a number of measures, including changing marking guidelines and basing final grades on work already submitted. Many students have expressed sympathy towards staff but also frustration that industrial action has had little impact on anyone but students, as universities have not reopened negotiations. The University of Edinburgh said it has robust measures in place to reduce the impact of industrial action and that work, including dissertations, would be read. Schools Week comment on teacher burnout after a report from Wellbeing Service Education Support shows a quarter of leaders, teachers and support staff said additional responsibilities were adding on average average, 46 hours to their working week. 15% of staff said they were spending an extra seven to 10 hours supporting pupils. The collapse in support services feeding into schools, including creaking mental health support and overwhelmed SEND services, has left schools and their staff struggling to cope. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of School Leaders Union, ASCO, said schools had become the de facto and unofficial branch of social and healthcare services, but that a lack of training, resources or capacity was putting staff under considerable workload stress. The most common additional responsibilities included offering pupils and colleagues emotional support and dealing with difficult pupil behaviour. More than one quarter of staff surveyed said they had prepared food for pupils who didn't have any and 41% said they had purchased supplies such as pens, paper and school bags. In the same YouGov survey, two thirds of school staff said public bodies such as CAMS and social services had been unable to offer pupils support. Further details of the findings can be found on the Schools Week website. The Guardian reported on a proposal to recruit school leavers into healthcare service apprenticeships, which would allow tens of thousands of doctors and nurses to train on the job. The NHS workforce plan could see up to one in 10 doctors and one third of student nurses trained through this vocational path in coming years. The alternative route would circumvent the standard undergraduate or graduate route. The plans have been met with criticism by unions, but Amanda Pritchard, Chief Executive of NHS England, has been speaking to pupils at a northeast Comprehensive School, where she encouraged pupils to earn while they learn, and highlighted the 350 different roles available within the NHS. Finally, in Wales, the BBC reports that the increasing cost of food means school caterers are struggling to deliver on the Welsh Government plan for universal free school meals. The unit price was set with an assumption about possible cost increases, but Education Minister Jeremy Miles said the world has obviously moved on and a further review was needed. The current rate of around £2.90 per child in a primary school is being described as no longer viable, as price increases of 20% on items like milk, cheese, fruit and vegetables take their toll. The Universal Free School Meals Plan is being rolled out in phases to all primary schools, Although a target for every child in reception year one and year two to be offered a free school meal by April has been missed. The policy has been welcomed, but challenges needed to be acknowledged. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello,
5: this week I've been searching for crazy technology. The tech I found ranges from rather funny to actually quite useful. Let's see if I can blow your mind. Everyone has probably used Google Translate at some point, even if it's just to translate a word into another language and back again to see if it changes. Well, the Google Pixel earbuds paired with the Pixel phone allow you to switch on conversation mode. Now what is being said to you in a foreign language is translated into your earbuds in real time. What you say is translated and projected via your phone. You do need an Android 6.0 or higher to do this, but this has potential to be a game changer for communicating not only when travelling, but in hospitality too. Next up is a quirkier invention, Smarty Pans. There aren't many things you can't connect to an app, and the frying pan is now joining the club. The Smarty Pan has a built-in scale to weigh your food as you add it to the pan, a handle that tells you when the pan is at temperature, and the app guides you through how to cook a meal you're preparing. Also, the nutritional content of your meal is calculated by the app. There's no advertised price for this pan yet, but keep your eyes peeled. It replaces a cookbook, reading the nutrition on a packet, and your kitchen scales, as long as you fry everything. My final crazy technology is the Hushme. This is an invention for those concerned about being overheard by others when talking on their phone or other connected devices. It works by muffling your voice so others can't hear you, keeping private conversations private. Genius, I hear you say. I need one so I can work during my commute. Before you break out the credit card, it is a rather chunky device you wrap around your whole head. I'd describe it as a pair of large headphones that connect to a cup to cover your mouth. At just over £180 and making you look like Darth Vader, you may want to do a bit of research first. Do you know of any crazy tech? Do you own any? As always, why not get in touch at TT Radio Official? I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your Tech Briefing on Teachers Talk
4: Radio. This programme has been brought to you by the Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready to go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This programme
1: Hello and welcome back to the show. I was just listening to Steve Woods there on his Tech Talk. I don't have any special tech or anything. I just have old tech, which we found out at the beginning of this program doesn't always work too well. It's not too reliable. Anyway, you're listening to the Thursday Lit Lit Show with your host, Paul Hazard. And this evening, I'm talking to Shazad Ali is a behavior expert and shazad could we pick up then is there any role for parents in what you do
2: yeah uh definitely um i i see it as the triangle approach which is in the center of the triangle you have got what is the best approach or what is the best thing and in order for the parents to be part of this process, you have the parent, the child and the school. Any one of those factors does not work. You're not going to have the best outcome for the young person. So the parent is really, really important in any process of the young person's um, school life. Um, we make sure that parents are involved in all the process. The alternative provision world itself, it's, it's really, it's, it is a bit daunting for parents because in their mind their perception is that a young child has been taken away from a school setting, how their child going to work in this setting, it's given the parents the belief that their child will be looked after, their child will still get the educational that they're entitled to, but the most important thing is the communication, um, we still provide the parents evening, we still keep parents updated weekly, um, but also we have like a parent committee which is that we allow parents to be involved in decision making, just like we allow students to be part of the student voice we allow students to make decisions we allow parents to be part of this and if you look at it from a deeper meaning uh, it goes back to my earlier point which was that if you make somebody feel valued and part of any any involvement they will go above and beyond Uh, so parents are really integral part of their child's um, school education life
1: Mm -hmm. yeah good and i'm wondering then as well you know particularly for the older students that you have and um, do you see any role for employers like for example would you use like a work experience or any kind of bridging program from from school to work
2: yeah definitely um, when we talk about the older learners uh, we ref- i mean i refer to them being key stage for year 10 and year 11 but le- mainly year 11. Um, yeah we know that they've had a difficult school life. We know that it's been difficult in a classroom setting. We know that not every child is going to want to do further studying. And we also know that it's not one size fits all. We know that some young people are better hands-on, practical stuff, uh, and they've then got a, 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 a vision for w- going straight into an apprenticeship group. So one of the interventions that we provide in the reset provision is what I class as vocal, which is vocational qualification. So what we begin to do is we begin to look at our young people and we begin to look at who is going to, who's got an aspiration for being a mechanic. So then we look at the motor vehicle route. So we look at providers who provide a level one in motor vehicle qualification, or we look at young people who are interested in plumbing and electrics, and we've got external agencies that that look at these kind of provisions uh, and and pathways. Um, Successfully this year, we've got two young learners who really did struggle in a mainstream setting and their academic profile was really low um, one of our providers who provide an afternoon sessions and a full day session of electrics and plumbing have now offered an apprenticeship route for two of our young learners which is a real success story um, mm-hmm. these could, yeah. these were two young learners who on paper were risk of a permanent exclusion who it would have labeled them for the rest of their life they wouldn't be able to succeed in any other educational provision but now we've in essence given them another opportunity in life and they've got an apprenticeship route which now they'll be able to earn money so they don't need to going back to what we talked about earlier look at a culture of you know selling drugs or going out and doing wrong stuff now they're able to enjoy what they want to do but at the same time earn money as well
1: yeah mm-hmm. and Shazad, you have uh, and rightly so you have painted a very positive picture of uh, alternative provision in general, but in particular, the model that uh, you've established there. Um, what are some of the difficulties then that you face? Uh, because it couldn't be, you know, sweetness and light all well, the time.
2: No. The, the difficulties that we face is, is, if you look at it from an internal perspective, internal, um, the eternal perspective it's that the provision is capped at 24 learners even though this year we've increased to 27 it's you've got to be able to if you increase the provision it means that the 24 in there are probably not going to get the same one-to-one support if you increase to 30 learners so mm-hmm. it's capped towards in uh, the end of the year 11 GCSE exam year 11 will be leaving for their for their destinations which will then open up 10 places and you know surprisingly for 10 places I had 46 internal referrals so it's about you know whose priority but then at the same time some of the other challenges that I face is is within the the Bradford area where we don't have many alternative provisions out there and you've got schools who are then trying to reach out to myself providers that I try to reach out to myself local authority that I'll try to reach out to myself to say can you take on learners and what we're trying to say to them is that we are an alternative provision that are trying to meet the needs of our own learners um, yeah. with the, some of the other challenges that we face is young learners who um, require an EHCP, an education healthcare plan to provide them in a school in a school setting through additional support um, and I've had educational psychologists who have come to our provision and in essence it, they say that we are a victim of our own sex uh, our, our own success and the fact that we are a walking EHCP, uh, which is nice to hear. But it's not what we want. We want mm-hmm. what is right for the child. Um, because what you don't want is you don't want the young child to spend their whole school life in an alternative provision. You also want them to integrate back into mainstream. So it's the challenges that you get. Um, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. The same child that's pleasant to you today may not be pleasant to you tomorrow. The same parent who was supportive today may not be supportive tomorrow, but mm-hmm. The most important thing is that you understand why you are doing what you're doing. I say this to my staff, if you love doing what you are doing, then it's not a job. It becomes a hobby and you'll be here without me even saying anything to you. And that is why I mentioned earlier that staff are also your biggest resource. Um, We are I mean, we promote a family culture amongst our learners, amongst our staff. We understand that some of the other challenges that we may face is if a staff member is not present, what do we do? by having a strong culture, everyone's in together. Um, you know, we may, we get the job done. Some of the other issues that you may face is finance. Um, it's it's expensive to run an alternative provision. Um, it is. It's really expensive because you're, you know, employing seven staff in a setting like this uh, and then you're also reaching out to your external providers to provide, like, for example, forest schools, hair and beauty, boxing sessions. So it's a lot of investment not every school has the capacity or has the budget to do so but the reason that I love working at Bradford Academy is that every child matters and the school will always go above and beyond to make sure that they've invested in the young people giving them a second chance
1: yeah uh, shazad how would you fare in an um, ofsted inspection
2: so um because we're not a external provider with an internal alternative provision we still get graded with the overall picture with regards to behavior and attitude in school uh, recently okay so to...
1: any assessment would not be separate
2: no it wouldn't be separate um, right so we are in t- we are internal so if our school internally was graded good then we would also be graded good vice versa if we was graded requires improvement then the school would also be required improvement with regards to behavior and attitude sure um so one of the feedbacks that we got from the ofsted which was recent uh when i say recent it was the first week of january uh and the and the feedback that was given was the learners who are at the risk of a permanent exclusion or present the most challenging behavior are well supported in the reset provision
1: goodness um, you've got more than one word
2: <laughs> we've got more than <laughs> we got more than one word so again that's a reflection of the staff uh who have gone, gone above and beyond without without them um there would be no provision and a, a, a leader is only as strong as his team. Um, yeah. So credit to my staff who always go above and beyond and also credit to the young people that are there. Um, uh, the feedback they gave to Ofsted, the relationships that they, they, they said they found with staff, it was really positive. Um, mm-hmm. So it was good, it was a good, it was a scene. Uh, when I spoke to the Ofsted inspector myself in person, it was very brief in the sense that we provided two really huge folders uh one of the staff members she always goes above and beyond and she made sure that all the paperwork provided to ofsted because ofsted will look for alternative provisions is there any gaps is there something that shouldn't be there which is there Uh, and making sure your paperwork is airtight Um, it's really important for alternative provisions to make sure that they've got strong relationships like you've just mentioned now with parents to -hmm. know exactly why the young person's there uh, and also if any learners are gone externally whether they're accessing college to make sure the relationship with both providers is strong making sure your attendance marks are in and making sure communication is strong across board so that was the feedback that we got from ofsted which was really positive uh, yeah it was, it was a yeah, strength good moving forward
1: yeah it's very good yeah yeah i know you're fond of including the word education uh with your alternative provision here in northern ireland we actually refer to them as AEPs, Alternative Education Provisions. But I'm wondering, Shazad, do you think every school should have an AP or an AEP?
2: In every school, if you're going to promote inclusion and you're going to say that we're inclusive and we provide support for the most vulnerable learners, then an alternative educational provision is the way forward. I think you guys in Northern Ireland are slightly ahead of us by rebranding and calling it an educational provision because that's what it is. Um, The stigma and the label that alternative provisions has been given over the years is out of sight, out of mind. It's places where young naughty people go and the importance, I mean, you guys have already done it in Northern Ireland, keeping the word educational is so, so powerful. All that you're saying is that we still value this young person educational. The only difference we're doing is we're slightly making adaptations to their approach. And the adaptation is maybe in a smaller classroom, maybe with more one-to-one support, maybe with not an hour lesson, let's go to a 50-minute lesson and more check-ins. And if you take the word educational away from this, it doesn't hold the same value. It doesn't have the same purpose.
1: Yeah, good point. Shezad, we're coming towards the end of our time. And uh, as is now traditional in this program, I always ask, uh, if you had a magic wand and only one spell to cast, what would you do to make education significantly better for everybody?
2: It's making educators out there believe that every young person out there is special and unique in their own way not everyone's going to be a doctor or a, or a teacher but finding what is the skill or what is that young person really good at and then developing that as an educator that is one of the things that I wish that could happen out there and just believing in the young people we were young at one point and we believed you know they were, there were there there is somebody in our lives that believed in us and continued working with us and this is why we are there because of their efforts and having the same approach from all educators out there. So continue to believe in the young people. They're our futures, and they'll continue to promote our our legacy moving forward.
1: Shazad, your school and your students, your parents and Bradford are all very lucky to have you. Your enthusiasm, your knowledge, and your passion for what you do is absolutely infectious. It's been great having you as a guest, and I look forward maybe to having you a guest at some stage in the future. Shazad, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Me me next week for the second in a series of linked shows when I'll be talking to Dr. Aideen Slattery about how you can help your students pay better attention. See you then. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio.
0: Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.